Hello, my dear friends. Welcome back to another edition of Love Service Wisdom with myself, Marissa Rada Weppner. You can call me Rada as your host. And today's conversation is with Jeff Kober, who is one of my very first meditation teachers and someone who I have received daily Vedic meditation thoughts in my email inbox, literally for the past 11 years every day, and it's inspired me immensely. And now he's just published Embracing Bliss that touches on these Vedic meditation thoughts for the day. And then as a companion to the book, there's the Embracing Bliss podcast that's now out with him as the host and author and speaker and brilliant mind behind it all. Or maybe the book is a companion to the podcast. Either way, both are out now. Embracing Bliss, the book where you can get at any online bookstore and then the podcast on any of the streaming platforms. Like I said, it touches on his Vedic meditation thoughts for the day, which I have enjoyed so much. I think he's been doing them now for 11 years. Every day I get these in my inbox. And oftentimes I use them not only to to inspire myself, but to inspire my teaching, especially when I was teaching a lot at my yoga studio, Sage Yoga and Wellness. I would often or every now and then I should say, bring in what I had received from Jeff and read it to the class and use that kind of as my Dharma talk launching point. They're so good. If you want these thoughts from the day from Jeff, like I get them, just go to Jeff Kober and that's K-O-B-E-R.com, Jeff dash Kober, Jeff dash versus underscore cobra.com. And if you hit the meditation tab at the top, you can go down to daily thoughts and you can subscribe to get these in your inbox as well. And just to give you a little sampling of what these um, Vedic meditation thoughts for the day are, or what you might find in the Embracing Bliss podcast or the Embracing Bliss book, I'm going to read you the one that I got today. So the day that I'm reading this and recording this is August 5th. So August 5th, 2022, this came in my inbox today. The title is Change is Inevitable. Certain indeed is death for the born and certain is birth for the dead. Therefore, over the inevitable, you should not grieve. From the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 27. Change is inevitable in the field of relative existence. It is going on even in the present, as it was in the past and will be in the future. The phenomenon of birth and death is an expression of the eternal process of evolution, which in its turn expresses the purpose of creation. Life evolves with a view of the realization of perfection. Development through change is the natural course of the cosmic process. Man has freedom of action, thereby he can adapt any channel, good or bad, through which he wants the course of his life to flow. This is in his hands, but change is inevitable, and it is for the sake of life that this is so. So that all was from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, his translation and commentary on the Bhagavad Gita from chapters 1 through 6. So that starts out the thought for the day. And then Jeff gives his 
two cents and interpretation to make it applicable to our lives, which I love so much. So Jeff says, there are two demands within each of us, always. The demand of the ego, animal nature, for safety and comfort, and the demand of spirit for our growth and evolution. These conflicting demands play out by way of the ego mind saying no to the new and the spirit self saying yes to the flow of evolution through us. Ego wants to find the perfect picture of life, money, safety, love, family, and then frees it. This is its nature. Spirit, on the other hand, wants only our growth and development, continual movement towards the fullest experience of life possible. Life keeps happening in spite of our best efforts to stop its flow. And if we are trying to stop it, we inevitably get bruised. Nothing stays the same in the relative world ever. My thoughts and feelings are completely different now than they were when I began writing this 15 minutes ago, and they will be different again by the time I reach the end. To decide how I want them to be and then try to make them stay that way is absurd. This goes double for anyone I think should be a certain way. They will never cooperate, except in moments here or there, and I will be miserable. Our task is to become identified with the self within, the place of no change that is there in each of us. This place that once embraced gives us the ground to stand on to allow the flow of ever-changing life to wash over us without being at the effect of it. This is the gift we receive in meditation, guided by our own practice to that place of pure being within transcendent of the relative world, and then lifted back into life with an opportunity at each moment to choose which demand we will follow, to stay small for the ego or to expand for the spirit. And so that's Jeff with his thought for the day, interpretation of the opening uh, Dharma text quote. And then it always ends with this prompt at the end of the thought for the day. Today I will meditate twice and remind myself throughout the day to take my attention from the demanding voice of the ego that I may hear the guidance of the quiet voice of nature that awaits me within. And then there's a beautiful photo that Jeff puts at the end because he's a great photographer too. So that's the thought for the day, the Vedic meditation thought for the day that Jeff pretty much does every day and has been for 11 years. And these are touched upon in his book, Embracing Bliss, and his podcast, Embracing Bliss. And I think you'll love this conversation between the two of us reconnecting after all these years from his time when he came to Montana in the middle of nowhere <laughs> to train myself and my mom and a few of our other students in this lineage of Vedic meditation. So enjoy this podcast and, and then let's see what else is going on. Right now I'm in Boise. I'm loving summer. I'm in the middle of some gardening and home projects, which thrill me beyond belief, the level of joy that I get from <laughs> getting projects done at the house or working on the garden. So doing this for the next couple of weeks before we get back on the road, Krishna and I, East Forest and I, we have got a private ceremony in upstate New York 
And then we head down to the summer mountain retreat called Love and Reason. That is a intersection of bhakti and Buddhism. A lot of the talks and speakers are either going to be in the bhakti realm or the Buddhist realm from August 25th through 29th. It's the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation Sangha down there with every night Krishna Das and his band performing Kirtan and Bob Thurman will be there and Sharon Salzberg and Spring Washam Shantala will be there. They're going to perform live for my yoga classes in the morning as well as East Forest, which I'm really thrilled about. And if you're planning on coming to this retreat, I'll just give you a warning ahead of time. If you haven't yet been to a Love, Serve, Remember Foundation event or workshop or experience, they're really obsessed with the Hanuman Chalisa. And I, in all my years of yogic everything, this or that, all over the place, had not heard the Chalisa until I went to my first Ramdas retreat in Maui in uh, 2018. And it was one of my second experiences with Ramdas. And we, we were at the resort. And it was in the afternoon, the day of the first workshop, and Ramdas was in the hot tub, and Rachel was there, and some of his caregivers were there. Duncan Trussell was there. I was there with Krishna. There was maybe like ten to twelve people in this hot tub, and they, Ramdas and the closer Sangha, because that was our first time there. We were definitely Krishna and I, like flies on the wall a little bit. They were skyping somebody that was a friend. And all of a sudden, everyone in the hot tub, besides Krishna and myself, and maybe Duncan too, started chanting something in Sanskrit that went on forever. And it wasn't like a repetitive Sri Ram, J Ram, J J Ram, or Hare Krishna repetition of something. It was something that was tons of verses. Each line was different, and it was lengthy. And I was like, what is this? What is this that everybody can just like gleefully drop into and know it seems hard? What what is happening here? So I was enthralled and intrigued. And then that night, Krishna Das was chanting, began the kirtan, and it's the chalisa, the Hanuman chalisa. And fortunately, when you check in, they give you um, two pieces of paper. Each side is printed on so four pages basically with the words in the translation so you have it written down and you can join in if you don't know it which is what I tried to do but just kind of like mumbling and bumbling along slurring my words and trying to catch up and getting lost and just basically you know not doing it well let's say that for sure but wanting to figure it out so trying while everybody around me could do this thing so you kind of get this feeling of like I want to be able to do this really hard bhakti thing as well because you guys learned it so it must be possible for me to learn it too and so when I got home from that I dedicated myself to learning it where I had that same piece of paper I got from the retreat and I would sit down and listen to Nina Rao's Nina Chalisa, that's on The Flow of Grace, one of Krishna Das's album. And I would listen to Nina sing and chant, and I would just do one line every day. And the next day I would try to learn another line, adding in the lines I had tried the days before. And now 
I've got it. Now I can sing it. Now I can sing it and play it on harmonium. And I still have that original piece of paper that I got when I was on that retreat. And I used it so much and it traveled with me and I folded it and it's torn and its corners are bent. And you know how when you have a piece of paper that it sees a lot of touch, it gets soft. Both of these pieces of paper are like super soft and delicate. And it's one of my treasured things now, This, these two sheets of the Chalisa that I learned from the first time. So that's all to say, if you're coming to this retreat for the first time, one of these experiences, maybe already start to prep yourself on learning the Hanuman Chalisa, or at least, you know, this is fair warning that a lot of that chanting will be going on. And it's hugely wonderful and I love it so much and I look forward to you loving it as much as I do once you learn it too or maybe just even once you get to hear it especially in a group of hundreds who are like just totally dropped into the bhakti heart of it all and with that my dear ones that little story I'm going to turn you over to this conversation with Jeff Kober Jeff Kober, who I often refer <laughs> to as my meditation teacher. It's so oh, great to have that. you here on it, Love Service just, Wisdom. Well, just the title alone kind of says it all, doesn't it? Love <laughs> Service Wisdom. They're, they're the three most important things for me. Or they ha they're, well, they're buckets for the things that are important to me. Yeah, you can you can use them as an organizing principle for just about everything. Yeah, yeah. We've known each other for quite some time. You were just going to share what? I we met fifteen years ago last month, uh, and I remember specifically because you were in the very first meditation course I ever taught, which was in uh montana what was that little town uh twin, twin fall twin sheridan, sheridan. right yeah. next to twin bridges twin bridges that's right okay yeah so in sheridan uh and we taught we 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 had the course at your uh, mother's yoga studio which was a converted barn mm -hmm. um i had just finished my intensive three-month uh residential course uh, to become a teacher of Vedic meditation. And I remember you and your mother, and there was a, a I also remember the, uh, there was a, a Vietnam veteran who, uh, was he it was Norm? the very first, I think it was, yeah. and he's since passed. And he was the very first person I taught. And in the, in the, or in maybe the it teaching, was Bill, actually, Bill Scruggs. I wonder. Bill Scruggs. He was Maybe. he was bearded, mm -hmm. older. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of the uh, uh, the ceremony I did before I taught him, the smoke from the camphor set off the smoke alarm <laughs> above us, and he was a Vietnam veteran. He literally dove under the table. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so your very first initiates into the Vedic tradition yeah. you may dive under a table I, I made him dive under a table and it's, <laughs> it's, the good news is it's only been uphill from there so. 
Oh, 15 years ago. That's some great context yeah. for me to think that that was 15 years ago. I was living in Sheridan, Montana with my mom, my family, and mm -hmm. we had opened the studio together and your sister lives nearby, right? In she Montana. Did. Yeah. She used to. Yeah. She used to, yeah. And that's yeah. what brought you out. Was she a student of ours? She must have been. <clears throat> she was, and I you know, I had here's here's the actual story so i was I, i'm an actor and i had been working with my meditation teacher and he said well it's time for you to become a teacher i said no man i'm an actor i don't want to be a teacher and he said well you can do both and i said yeah sure and then i said so in the middle of this three and a half month uh uh, process of becoming a teacher. I said, so in Flagstaff, I said, so when do I start planning what I do when I get out of here? He said, don't, just let it happen. And I, I was like, yeah, right. And he said, no, no, really, just let it happen. And a few months before we ended, I called my sister and we got on the phone and she burst into tears. Right. She was having a hard time. I said, oh, you need to learn to meditate. I'm coming to Montana. She said, Oh, sure you are. I said, no, find a yoga studio near you. She says, well, I actually know one. So she got in touch with you. We set up the intro talk and I came up there to uh, teach meditation and then taught another course in Billings, a little further east mm -hmm. in Montana. And I bring up the acting and the wanting to be an actor rather than a meditation teacher. And my, my teacher saying, you can do both because the day that I taught you to meditate, I got a call from my manager saying, you're being offered a Western. It starts shooting the day after I would finish the course in Billings. Hmm. So it was like, it, it could not have been more profoundly perfect hmm. to show me that both, both realities could exist in one life. I love it. I'm getting chills. That's so beautiful. That's so yeah, beautiful. It really was. Yeah. And so your tradition, Vedic meditation, Explain that for those that don't know, and tell us about your teacher too. Um, Vedic meditation is it's means of the Veda, and the Veda is, uh, as as the title of your podcast uh, says, wisdom. You know, Veda means knowledge or wisdom, and uh, and the Veda speaks of itself as being the science of consciousness. And that truth, knowledge exists within consciousness, and indeed everything exists within consciousness, and indeed everything is consciousness. So if you want to change your experience of the world, you must change your consciousness. It's not that you change your experience and then your consciousness changes, it's that you change your consciousness and then your experience changes. Vedic meditation is a way of transcending the level of consciousness where all of your problems reside to get to the level of consciousness where uh, where a problem is not even a thing, where a process is the only thing happening. And once you can get aligned with process and truth, which in Vedic terms means it's capital T, truth, that which never changes, once you get in touch with that, then the passing problems of a life, of a day, of a, of a relationship become just that, just the, you know, like Pema Chodron says, the, you are the sky, all the rest is just 
the weather you know that's the weather what what's you know is it raining today is it clear is it you know cloudy what is it but it's it, what i am never changes and as i you know and so the, the meditation really works because if you begin to know the truth of what you are then the weather becomes uh an adventure rather than a, a an oh no Mm-hmm. And and all other sorts of things also occur when when you do the meditation, as as you know, um, mm-hmm. you know you begin to let go of the structured uh, patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior. Um, you uh, find uh, new access to uh, the biochemistry and the attitude of bliss or happiness. Um, and you find yourself more able to offer yourself to the world because you're getting fulfilled within and you're not having to get things from others. Exactly. Yeah. And this practice specifically, it's similar to TM, those that know TM, transcendental meditation. They are they are sister or brother techniques. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the the point of both of them, or either of them, is that the part of us that we are transcending is the part of us that is in control, which is the part of us that continues to give us a sameness of experience and makes it so bloody challenging to change. And so transcending that, you're, you, you get in touch with the truth of what you are, which is all about the change that wants to happen through you. Tell me more about the sameness of experience that it's well, trying to have. Well, the uh, as I understand it, just to to uh, uh, speak to a model that some people may have studied, uh, you know, when they first began to do fMRIs with uh, people under the influence of psilocybin, they anticipated seeing the brain lit up in ways that it wasn't lit up before. But in fact, they found it darkened in areas where it was usually lit up. And that place where it was darkened was the default mode network, which is, in survival terms, it's the it, it causes us to ignore what is not potentially dangerous. Yes, because it's just going to be the same thing. And so don't worry about it. In survival terms, that's kind of brilliant, because then you're just paying attention to, you know, if the lion is sneaking up on you. Mm -hmm. But in human spiritual uh, quality of life terms, it means you (laughs) you missed the whole point of this, you know, what I am as a nervous system is this interface between the truth and spirit of what I am, and this extraordinary world that is another expression of the truth and spirit of what I am. And the whole point of life, as I understand it, is to connect those two experiences so that I am the process of that experiencing, becoming ever more full, ever more connected, ever more at one with itself in all of its expressions. As long as the default mode network is online, it, that's really challenging to happen because to have happen because because habit is extraordinarily powerful. But if you turn that mode off through psychedelics, uh, or if you progressively learn the truth of yourself as something other than that whole system, then 
you begin to be able to take that system apart and be, begin to be able to be present to the world rather than to your anticipations of the world. And the, you know, the next moment is taken for what it is rather than in, excuse me, in contradistinction to what it's supposed to be yes. or what it needs to be in order for me to be happy or safe or fulfilled. Yes. And so. so somehow the repetition of a mantra helps to interrupt this default system. It's the mantra works in two ways. The first is that, and the way that we, we repeat it is a, a, an absolute part of this is, you know, most meditation practices that are uh, engaged in are a way of changing the way the mind thinks, the way it works. And that's still having a, an intellectual experience of the world. That's yeah. not going to do me any real good um, um, unless I have had this connective experience uh, uh, underlying that intellect. What the mantra does, though, is the mantra takes me out of the intellect being in charge or the ego being in charge and the mantra itself uh i allow it to be in charge in the following fashion the mantra is given to me knowing that that mantra will be attractive to my mind and so how do you know that I, and i ask that because because like when you did the initiation with me and i'm assuming with everybody in this lineage you're given a specific mantra yes and so part of us wants to know, like, how do you decide? And, and you didn't like yours. No, my mom didn't like hers. And, and because she had looked it up in the yoga yeah, uh, dictionary. She did and, that. <laughs> well, but this is a fascinating, fascinating thing, because the word that she showed me yeah. that she didn't like, which was good in the kitchen or something like that, um, <laughs> It, it was not the mantra I gave her. She mm. had taken the mantra and changed it okay. to make it this other word because it's like, you know, <laughs> it, 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 because the mind wants, the ego wants to find what's safe. And mm. what's safe is what has already happened. Oh. And so it turns it into something it already knows. Um, but the, the mantra is there are uh, a couple of different different characteristics that you study. And, and people who learn the technique, I tell them what those characteristics are. Of but, picking a mantra for someone? Of picking a mantra for someone. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm free to say that there are more than one and fewer than 100. One of my biggest <laughs> fears was that when I learned the mantras, there'd only be one and I'd have to lie about it. You know, but it, that's not the case. <laughs> So there's more than one. I know what mine is. We I've mm -hmm. never shared it with anybody. She didn't tell me what her word was, just that she felt disappointed because it seemed like it was mundane or something like that. And she wanted yep. it to be something beautiful. Yes. And I ended up the next time I saw your mother, which was uh, two or three years later, I gave her a different mantra because she was still <laughs> disappointed with her original <laughs> mantra. Maybe the lesson is don't translate it. Well, here's the, it, that's one of the lessons. And the, the fact is that the, the mantras are all bija mantras. Seeds. And bija, seeds. So, they, yes, they can mean various things, but as a seed, it means nothing. It's a meaningless sound, but the sound has two characteristics. 
And the first characteristic is that it will be attractive to my mind so that I don't have to change my thinking. I don't have to try to stop my thinking. I mm. just add one more little thought in there. And then that thought will be just a little more attractive than the other thoughts that have been swimming around in there since I can remember. And then the second characteristic of the mantra is that as I repeat it in this effortless fashion, it begins to settle down, it begins to be forgotten, it begins to disappear, and it, my mind attracted to it follows it as it settles down to an ever more subtle layer of thought. And this wave of activity that I am begins to de-excite so that I begin to feel the underlying ocean of being that underlies all this thinking, feeling, active nature of what I am. What, what the Veda says about consciousness is that the the one of the metaphors that can be used is the whole of consciousness is pure being, and that's like an ocean. And each of us is an individual wave of activity upon that ocean. But wave is never separate from ocean. Wave is simply excited ocean. If you can de-excite ocean, then you have being once again. And this is why it is said that what you're looking for is what you're looking with. And that truth is closer to me than my very breath. And all I need to do is to stop searching so desperately in order to find it. Mm. Which is not to say you don't need to meditate. Because when I met, I meditated for 20 years before I learned this practice. And when I closed my eyes and looked within without a, a legitimate practice, all I saw was a bunch of thinking. Mm -hmm. And it was not pleasant thinking. It was ugly thinking. It was bad. You know? So when you found your teacher and this Vedic practice, it shifted for you? From the very first meditation, it did. Because for the first time ever, I had... I, an experience of self that was absolute, absolutely knowable, and uh, other than my thoughts and my feelings, my opinions, and my ideas about myself or about the world. Do you feel like some of that had to do with the fact that you were with them? Were you in their presence? In the presence of the teacher? Yeah. Um, possibly, because if consciousness is universal, then, and each of us is an individual expression of consciousness, if I, if my consciousness is wide and clear and uplifted, and we step into each other's event horizon, then we're both going to be more uh, clear and uplifted, you know, same thing. And so if, if to the extent that his consciousness was clear and uplifted and, and to the extent that maybe that I was mesmerized by him or whatever, you know, that's all part of it. However, the practice that is taught, you never have to see that teacher again. Yeah, I haven't seen you for 15 years. Right. And you still have your practice. And it's, it's clearly it has expanded exponentially since since we began mm -hmm. and it's become a part of your your lifestyle and a part of who you know yourself to be a hundred percent 
Yeah. 100%. Though we haven't seen each other in 15 years, every day I get your email. Oh, that's fantastic. I <laughs> love hearing 15 that. 15 years. And I reference it all of the time. I mean, over uh, these years, as I've been a yoga teacher that whole time, um, I was so often turned to your daily emails for an inspiration for my class. Love it. One of I the things it. I so appreciate about you is how you pull from so many different teachers in those writings that you send out that is so yeah. diverse and sits on a singular truth you know <clears throat> the truth is the truth and it is it can be found in nearly every tradition and i say nearly every because i'm just i'm not that widely studied that i know every tradition but you know, uh, the if, if I mean, I was raised in the, uh, you know, the uh, Western Christian Protestant tradition. And the words of, you know, the New Testament uh, uh, speak of, of, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within. And no man shall get to the Father except through me. But I don't read that as through Jesus, except it's except through the self. You only find God here, then you can find it out there. But you've got to find it here first, mm-hmm. and and uh, and likewise. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, and he was I I can't remember what he was referencing something, and and basically saying the same thing I said when I learned to meditate. He was like, "Why should I believe you?" Because um, that's what I said to my teacher. I thought. Well, I'm going to pay you money, I, and I don't even know you. I'm supposed to trust you. Come on, and uh, and my friend was saying something, and and I so I and I'd never done this before, but I just referenced the uh, your creation story as it exists in Genesis, uh, in the Torah and the the Christian Bible, which is, you know, there were the animals, and then there was uh, human man woman. And the difference between man and woman is that they had dominion over the animals, which means they knew that they were, they knew that they were alive. And the animals did not know that they were alive. They were simply alive. And then the one thing they weren't supposed to do was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And good and evil, I don't know what it's translated from, but when they ate of that, suddenly it wasn't, it was no longer that they were conscious beings they were now self-conscious beings and they were pointed inward and when you're pointed in your inward you're subject to fear and separation and a deep longing to have that connectedness once again to be at one with nature once again Mm. and so so uh, from that uh, mythical beginning is the human condition, which is we're born and raised to know ourselves as incomplete and separate. And we're meant to struggle to find connection and value and worth. And the only way we can do that is by instead of pointing within beginning to point without and the only way we can point without is getting grounded in that deepest truth of what we are because from that deepest truth of what we are the only direction is outward yeah 
And this is what, you know, uh, love, wisdom, surrender, uh, service, service. service. Exactly. But service can only occur if I'm being fulfilled within. And so the whole point of meditation and awareness of the self is that that's what fills me. Yeah. So that all of this then becomes play, the play and display of consciousness rather than the grasping to fill this unfillable whole. Exactly. I've said that so many times and just rooted even further into those realizations as I've continued my practices that when I do my spiritual practices, I it only leads me to service and mm -hmm. it only leads me to a reconnection to nature and the world around me. That's that's it. That's and, it. and and that's the that is the uh the message of every you know of every uh sp legitimate spiritual religious uh teaching is to how do i find that connection to something greater than myself and find a way to offer of myself to the other aspects of that mm -hmm. of that self mm -hmm. and it's so interesting too with service because then it doesn't feel like uh, any kind of loss like you might assume before you've gotten to that place or hard work yeah. or a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice in the service. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just recently learned something brand new about this, which kind of blew my mind because um, I was I recently had a, 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 a win in my in my day job. And well, can uh, we say what that is? Can we say what you're yeah, I, I, I won an Emmy Award uh, for, for acting. Yeah. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, and and I was uh, there's a, a psychiatrist I talk to um, you know, twice a year, whether I need to or not. And he's just he's the most brilliant man I know. And he's got a great sense of humor. And we just, you know, we have a, a, a half hour of fun twice a year. And. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was telling him about my experiences of uh, just because there are all kinds of goofiness on the red carpet and having this experience and 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 having the experience um, without it, without needing to win in order to feel happy because I was happy as hell just being there. I literally was just as I would have been happy as hell being home. It didn't, you know, because that's where I was at that at that moment. I just I found my way to that place. And we were laughing about it. And he says, So uh does this mean you get a couple of life lifetimes off? You know, because he knows that I'm he's he's scientific and I'm spiritual and we come to the same conclusions all the time. And I said, either that or I'm uh, you know, it's just making up for whatever the hell I was in in the last life, and he said, "Oh, you're you're looking at it through the uh, the paradigm of of uh, conservation of matter." And I kind of went, "What?" And and then I said, "Then I was." And then I also recently have begun to remember that you know, forty years ago, I I was living in a car for a, a period of time, and I was working at a carnival, and I was I treated myself as if I were worthy of nothing. And, uh, and now I'm worthy of, you know, an Emmy Award. And, and so I was going to ask him a question about him, you know, uh, about the uh, expansion of our, our self worth, and our deserving power. And I started the question and, and, 
And I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, well, that you're, you're still looking at it through that, uh, that law of conservation of matter. I said, okay, wh what is that? He says, okay, so look, um, let's say I have 10 marbles and I give you two marbles. That means I've lost two marbles. You have the two marbles, so there's still 10 marbles, but you have more, I have less. So that's, you know, matter will is conservation. It, it, it will always conserve itself. And here in the relative world, there's exchange of, you know, I pay you money, you teach me yoga. I, you know, I, I you pay me money, I cook you a meal, that, that sort of thing. And, and, and a lot of our love relationships are, are uh, it, that way in nature as well, right? They're transactional. I'll love you for a while, then you've got to love me for a while. I'll be your fulfillment if you'll be my fulfillment. But he said, ideas, and I read spirituality, spiritual truths, but ideas, he said, I can have a beautiful idea and I hand it to you. You now have the idea, but I do too. So in spiritual terms, there is no conservation. There is only expansion. Mm. And it's like, you know, the Buddha said that, uh, you know, a thousand candles can be lit from your candle and your candle is still lighted. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, mm -hmm. exactly. And this kind of just blew my mind because I've been looking for a way of, of my theory my working theory yes, let's is hear that it. we're in this body solely for the experience of knowing the absolute truth of our existence, even as we are embodied. That I am uh, operating as a nervous system on the planet, but the truth of me is spirit. And the Veda would say that the whole of consciousness was one whole complete thing and it became bored of its experience because it wasn't having an experience if there's only one thing there's no conversation to be had there's no movement to take place there's no passage of time but it gave itself the first and initial uh, the initial and most valuable gift which was the forgetting of its oneness with itself in part in order to have the supreme joy of coming back together with itself. So the whole of all of our problems, all of our issues, all of our challenges are opportunities to find our way through them as spirit rather than as, you know, a never ending set of problems to be solved that at some magical future, I'll finally find happiness. Mm. So, happiness here regardless of what's happening mm -hmm. i love Bliss the reframing of process not problem process, process not, not problem, problem. Yeah. yeah and that the process is built into the design of the human experience that we're born knowing separation and that's not an error it's so that we can play the game of remembering that's yes. what the human experience yes. is absolutely and, and we can the enjoy Veda, it. Well, the Veda also says that heaven and hell are body-dependent phenomena, that they're not something that happens after I drop this body. Hell is 
where I was when I was spending time in my 63 Mercury down in Tucson and uh, and and sleeping on top of a reefer unit in uh, New Orleans when I was in the carnival and having the bottom of my feet smacked by the uh, cops billy club for sleeping on a park bench, you know, in Union Square Park. And 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 the mindset of someone who would allow themselves to live in those conditions or mm -hmm. allow themselves only to have that much life. Mm -hmm. um, that's hell. And, you know, at that time I used drugs and alcohol because to put something into my system that would make me feel different, I didn't care how different it was. Anything was better than where I was. And today, I live most of the time in heaven, which is, what's going to happen next? Oh, that's okay. Here we go. <laughs> I just said that to a client this morning that I was speaking to, and she was saying, life is like 2D and being on earth, it's so dense, it's so heavy, it's so hard. And I said, well, some people feel like it's heaven on earth. Some people live like that. Yeah. As we're all meant to, that's the, the reason that we, the reason that it feels so good to see the world through those eyes is because that's life guiding us in the direction we're meant to be guided in. It's, it's, we're all yearning for that because that's how we're meant to be. Do you feel like it's as simple as a meditation practice? No. Not at all. <laughs> but I think a meditation practice is uh, is the thing that allows the field to be able to be changed. Mm. You know, to to take a, a a seminar on positive thinking or uh, Kundalini or breathing or anything like that. Those are all fantastic tools, but if if you don't have access to the depth of what you are, if you haven't broken through the seeming separation and shell, it's like throwing seeds on on hard soil. They're not going to if they do sprout, they're going to die immediately. There's going to be green for a moment, then it's gone before it ever gets ripe. You know, it's it's a farming metaphor. I grew up in Montana, after all. <laughs> But the meditation is what allows me to make that soil ready to take new seeds. It's what allows me to be open to change. Because the survival instinct in us is so strong, and almost all of us have been traumatized in some way, which has locked us into fight, flight, freeze, fawn reaction. And when you're stuck there, it's like, you know, good luck trying to change that. You, you can't. You, you simply can't until you find what's underneath that. And yeah. that begins to soften up the field in which those reactions are, are, are stored. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And trust as a key part in it, too. You can't trust in your if you're in a survival response, but you can. No if you're connected to the truth of your being. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Even with the, even, even if you're still having 
the fear response in your system if you've connected below that underneath that system or beyond that system you can begin to give yourself permission to step forward anyway exactly 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 and this is all the work that you do is, is about the same thing though isn't it you're just you're helping people find permission to to be the truth of what they are yeah, and through different gateways. I mean, for the longest time, it was yoga and meditation, and more recently with psychedelic therapy, and then with somatic experiencing, which is the healing of trauma through the body, and then coupling that with the spiritual practices or the psychedelic therapies. It's it's it, it's so beautiful and profound how it all works together, and I love yeah. witnessing the growth that I'm seeing with people and just really teaching people in a similar way that maybe a meditation teacher would teach someone a practice. I find myself just teaching people how to regulate, just teaching people how to know themselves, teaching people how to know when they've gotten into that default mode. Mm. But then they also have the experience of what the ground of their being is through contrast. And so they can figure it out how to get back to that. Maybe they have a meditation practice or a mantra or a deep breath or go on a walk and kind of helping people reference to that they are the spirit in an animal body and their animal body is having responses all the time, but that's not who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to remember that even when you don't have access to it, so that you can live through the the extraordinary discomfort of being alive and in a a, a fear response. Mm. And I include anger in that as well. Fear, anger, you know, it's the survival response that so many of us are 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 stuck in mm. for for uh, decades. Some mm. of us, or the disconnection, the shutdown, the dissociation, but, or 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 that, yeah. Like, what do you mean anger? I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not anything. I'm not anything. Yeah. I hear yeah. that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go real well, slow. Well, and and when I uh, offer people a moment of just, you know, take a breath and, and scan your body and ask yourself where the place of strongest sensation is, or ask yourself where you're feeling a blankness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because that too is there's where the gold is, mm. and and here's here's another thing that just this just delights the hell out of me, just maybe perversely, but <laughs> when I first began letting go of uh, the limitations of my ideas about myself and uh, the uh, the limitations of uh, my worthiness to be on the planet and started waking up a little bit. I found that it was just bloody uncomfortable to be in a body. Just supremely uncomfortable. And I wanted a cigarette. I wanted a pie. <laughs> I wanted to make out with somebody. I wanted something to just push down the feelings. And, you know, and, and Pema Chodron talks a lot about just leaning into the discomfort, which is a beautiful thing because, it's, you know, get used to it because it's, it's going to be there. And here's what I realized, you know, if I see myself as an ever expanding experience of consciousness, 
that means that I am, you know, how big can consciousness get? Through my experience, consciousness, consciousness is an infinite field. By definition, any point is the center of that field. So that means I am the center of consciousness, as are you, which of course means we're the same thing. But each of us is having our individual experience of that one thing. And so now how big can my experience of that one thing get? How big am I willing to let it get? If life is about ever expanding my consciousness, and if expanding my consciousness is about ever moving into a new level of awareness and and awareness of and presence to the relative world, every time I move into a newness of experience, by definition, it's uncomfortable. It just it. it so what it yeah. means is, if I am engaged in spiritual growth discomfort means I am moving in the right direction. Oof, that's amazingly said. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it just and it just takes the onus off of the whole thing. Discomfort only sucks when I think it's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I often reframe it for folks that it's just unusual, you know, then the that discomfort. It's like of course mm. it feels uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar to you exactly yes and and here's the next extrapolation from that the willingness to sit and allow the unusual and uh, uh, ex sometimes extreme discomfort of being alive in stasis is the entry into the possibility of the joy of living when you put that in movement. You must have that level of sensitivity in order to experience the joy of, of living when you put it on the road, when you put yourself into the mode of service, when you allow yourself to be a channel for the flow of consciousness or the divine or life or nature or whatever you want to call it and the more you allow that sensitivity to be there that aliveness to be there in all of its discomfort the more fully you can experience that joy of living when you are able to allow it to move through yourself exactly exactly another frame for it is just growth right aliveness equals growth Equals Another, discomfort. Yeah. Discomfort. Yes. All yes. You remember growing pains when you were a teenager, <laughs> yeah. pre-adolescent, like, oh, what is this? It's yeah, your legs would pains. ache. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's kind of the same thing, except on a more subtle level, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I never thought of that. That's good. Well, it's been for me such a treat to witness these past 15 years from afar, your growth as a teacher, you know, the steady consistency that you provide in your emails that would go out, was it five times a week they have come? Or is it seven it, days a week? Seven, seven days a week. Seven yeah. days a week. Yeah. Isn't in that, my Gmail, I probably have 6,000 emails in it. I bet a thousand of them <laughs> are Jeff Cobers. <laughs> <laughs> that I just don't, I can't delete them. 
I can't delete that. Uh, I love that. <laughs> but now you have a book out. I have a book called Embracing Bliss, um, which is 108 daily meditations. So out of that, it's literally been, I think, 11 years now that I've done that. Um, uh, sent out that daily, the daily thought. So I, I wintered it down to 108. Um, and, wow. uh, and put out that book. And then I began a podcast. Um, uh, and actually, I it's it's more than just the the reading the daily thought. It's the thought, and you know, me letting myself uh, just talk about it as well. Yeah, you just riff on it. I listened to some yeah. this morning, and those are just it feels like so long overdue. I mean, so many years. I thought, oh, I can't wait for Jeff to finally put out a book of all of Thank these because you. your writing is so just like you're able to you take uh, another teacher's thoughts on spirituality or wisdom and then you make it modern and accessible well here's here's a question for you because the so the task i set for myself with these daily thoughts were if someone takes the time and the effort to begin at the beginning and read it through to the end mm -hmm. they'll feel they, they will feel better at the end than they did at the beginning oh yeah that, so, and then you have but, a you have a prompt at the end that's today I will blank. And then yeah. there's one of your beautiful photographs. Thank you. Yes. So here's so here's here's what I've been noticing lately is that there are spiritual teachers who uh talk about um the, students must have a burning need for enlightenment and uh and I, i've heard a couple of people recently who just uh, seem to be speaking from some morally superior ground uh that if you don't have that burning need for enlightenment you're you're not quite as good as, as someone who does have that and I, i'm looking at and asking myself the question of where is the is there a line where is the line or, or what is the uh the progression from how about just <laughs> letting me make my life a little better how about just learning how to live and love and, and be of service a little more how about that as uh an end in and of itself if that's where i happen to be as a, a spirit on the planet and Yes, of course, it's in service of enlightenment because the whole of life is in service of enlightenment. But if someone is not knowingly or consciously aware of that or desirous of that, that doesn't make them any less of a of a seeker. Not at all. Than someone who is. No. And and so and and but then as a teacher. Is it a different message to one person or the other based on that uh, uh, idea? Well, I think you and I would probably both agree that it's probably in the paradox. It's in the both and somewhere. The oh, I, I love that. you so much right now. <laughs> that is such a beautiful answer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my.
my god that just turned me on that just i'm just alive right now i just blew my mind that's fantastic both are true both are true probably even whether or not we're conscious of it or not we have the burning desire for enlightenment it's just further in yeah. there and then the human yeah. body it's the full spectrum it's the whole breadth of it all and that's the purpose of it like you said god consciousness is all one thing and it chose to forget that and so yeah. if we were all the same meaning the same burn for enlightenment what fun is that is there with that well yeah and it's it it's it, it, the we all begin this whole thing at at, at different you know at different stages of our our our, totally. our path different stages of our growth and and there you know there are now so sidebar you 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 i your mother didn't give you the middle name of rada no ramdas did ramdas did oh fantastic yeah okay so now are, i was going to ask you does that do you are if this is not too personal a question do you follow are you a hindu do you identify as a hindu or do you see that as a, a, a referencing uh system or <laughs> absolutely i mean i look up from like we're on the screen you know and i look up above me and i see lakshmi i see krishna and radha i see hanuman i see maharaji i see ramdas i mean I have hindu deities all around me Fantastic. and i've been immersed in the teaching and lineage of yoga for half of my life uh, but i wouldn't say that i'm a hindu okay okay yeah if that makes uh, sense uh, okay but i love that ramdas gave me that name because he's one of my teachers one of my main teachers and so i i take that on a lot of people just call me radha but i use, really mm -hmm, yeah that's beautiful i say i have marissa radha just because a lot of people still call me marissa and i don't want to confuse people or make it hard for anybody so it's kind of like whatever you'd like. You'll answer to anything. Yeah. Because I'll it's just this passing anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And both have for me a beautiful energy. I love the energy mm -hmm. of Marissa and what that means. And I love the energy of Radha and who she is. You seem to be much more Radha at this point than, than yes. Marissa, though. It's yeah. The, you, you were Marissa when I met you, but uh met you, but exactly yeah. so people from That's my past fine. will call me marissa or my uh, family uh, who are from my past but i'll introduce myself as radha and that as we were speaking to earlier is an uncomfortable growth edge for me to introduce yourself as yeah. radha yeah there's an I'll aliveness bet. and an unusual feeling to it it's edgy i'm on an edge when i do that and are you are you uh, anticipating a certain kind of reaction or? The reactions usually, how do you say that? <laughs> Rhonda? <laughs> wow. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, deity. Wow. Rada. Yeah. And most don't know who it is unless they're in a bhakti tradition or yogic tradition or Hindu tradition. They don't know um, that she is a deity. 
And, and is uh, uh, was Ramdas uh, 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 was he in the Vaishnavite tradition? Was he like a, a, a bhakti? Oh, uh, he was fully bhakti. Yogi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was given the name Ramdas from his teacher, right? Uh, which was Neem Karoli Babu. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so for me, him telling me, giving me that name, one, just being able to spend time with him in person was like a boon. And then when he told me that my name was Radha without even me asking him was like another boon for myself. It felt like a, like a treasure. Did that guide you in the direction of your teaching or was that a, uh, a recognition of the teaching you were already guided toward? Or, yeah. Or the was it once again, yes, and? Yeah. It was, it, you know, I don't, haven't told many people this, but I'll tell you where, and then everybody else will hear it. <laughs> My partner, well, he was with Ram Das for a few days before I was with him. And he said to me, I'm going to ask Ram Das to give me a name. And I said, amazing. You should do that. That's wonderful. And he said, what do you think it's going to be? And I said, I don't know, but I have a feeling it's just going to be one word. And he's really like, really? I'm like, yeah. That's just my intuition. And I thought to myself at that time, if he were to give me a name, I know he would tell me that my name is Radha. I knew it. And then when I was with him and my partner asked for his name and he said, Krishna, which was just one word, and he was blown away. And I was just sitting there and witnessing and being with it all. And then he turned to me and I thought to myself, he's, just, he's about to tell me my name is Radha. And then he did. He said, and you're Radha. And he just slapped his leg and started laughing and laughing like it was the funniest thing. Oh, my God. Well, and again, this is that, that the, the truth is the truth. And we resonate with it. And, and then we reflect it for each other. So he was reflecting mm. the truth that you already knew within yourself. Mm. And, but and that made I would it more never real. say. I would never no, have you would never, said it. No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, I was I was given the the name Ram by my teacher, and I, I it, it was so perfect because um, Ram was the uh, the first fully human avatar of Vishnu, and uh, as such, he constantly forgot that he was God <laughs> and would behave. <laughs> just extremely humanly and then suddenly you'd be reminded oh oh yeah i'm i'm above this or i'm, mm. I'm other than this i'm mm. more than this and uh I, it seems I'm, to parallel your actor life what's that your actor life that merges with where you can pretend like your other people uh, I'm sorry. Tell me more. What What are you well, saying? Well, as an actor, you're pretending that oh, you're other after people. Life. I thought you said my yeah. afterlife. And no, no, actor. Oh, my. Oh, well, then this that's it. That's let's 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 look at that for a moment because, uh, what actor life gives you is a framework within which to be fully yourself. You know, uh, Meisner said that uh, he was one of the is the the acting tra tradition that I follow is or that I learned from is uh, acting is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So, uh, you know, if we're having this conversation with the relationship that we have with each other, um, if 
suddenly we were given the uh, circumstances that uh, you're my daughter, then it would be a different conversation. We'd be saying the same words, but there would be a different flow to it. There would be a different kind of give and take. There would be a different set of worries, a, a different set of needs. All those things would just come into existence because we've assumed this other relationship. And, and you know, acting is like, oh, okay, you're this guy and, and the other person is, is this guy. And now here's the words, go. And the point of it is to find full freedom as this other circumstance. And freedom can only exist within limitation. So, uh, you know, the limitation of this is your character. And if it says you kill this person, don't actually kill them because it's acting, <laughs> you know, and those kinds of limitations, then you can allow yourself the full freedom to express. And it's kind of the single most powerful uh, job I could have ever had to practice spiritual principles, to practice the experience of freedom, to practice stepping beyond my fear, to practice unself-consciousness, to practice uh, behaving without reference to whether you're going to approve of it or not, you know. Which is not to say to practice without reference to your experience. It's it's actually the opposite. I'm paying attention to your experience rather than your experience of me, mm. or truthfully, my idea of your experience of me, because I can't know your experience of me. But I'm going to read different cues. So I was just having lunch with my wife, uh, Adele, you remember. Yeah, and, that was uh, wonderful. Yeah. And, and she... Uh, she picked up the hummus that was next to my plate and, and she said, is it okay if I have this? I said, why are you asking me that? It's the hummus, it's not my hummus. She said, oh, well, and I said, why would you ask me that question? And she said, well, you moved your shoulder. And I said, oh, that meant you shouldn't be <laughs> taking my hummus? You know, I didn't even, that wasn't even in my mind. I, don't, I had a shorter shoulder from working out this morning, you know, but mm. she read it as, oh, I'm taking this hummus. And, you know, we're doing that all the time. We're reading reality from each other. Mm. And, and you know, uh, amending our behavior to mm. have a certain experience of each other. Yeah, we're making assumptions and we're making it up. We're making things up all of the time. Most of it's all made up. <laughs> what we think is going up. on. So it was kind Absolutely. of great for her to clarify. You know, she made the that assumption. Was beautiful. He's upset about this hummus snatching. I should ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Not the case of the missing hummus. <laughs> And then if you're sulky later tonight, she'll be like, I know I shouldn't have taken that hummus. I shouldn't have taken his hummus. (laughs) But now she knows. It's not it. And then a week from now, it's like, (laughs) it all started that day I took your hummus. You've been different since then. (laughs) (laughs) Relationships, too. Such a beautiful ground to learn and grow in. You know, I, I, I had been a meditation teacher. I'd been doing this meditation for quite a long time before I suddenly realized 
<laughs> and this is just shows my I'm I'm really ignorant some of the time. Uh, but it was I realized the relative world, they call it that because it's all about relationships. Ah. It's everything is in relationship to something else. Yeah. Our conversation is in relationship to when we met 15 years ago, it's in relationship to how we're going to feel after it's over. You know, I'm, I'm in re our ideas are in relationship to the way they may have occurred yesterday, as opposed to the way they'll occur tomorrow. And mm -hmm. I'm in relationship to this chair. I'm in relationship mm -hmm. to you. It's, it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. Referencing. We, yeah. Referencing, comparing, contrasting. And not, and then the 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 spiritual work of that is to allow that. And you you just, it's oh my god, this is this is why paradox and the capacity to hold it is such an important tool for spiritual growth because it's the expansion of consciousness to allow all of the relationships to occur without letting any of them fall into the realm of judgment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you just taught me something that's fantastic. <laughs> they just are. It just is. It just is. It's, this is the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. mm, it really, that brings me so just present, brings me so back to this present moment. I feel, I feel that alive in my body, just presence when you can hold it all. Yeah. Yeah. And just let it be there. And, and, and it's like, if I have the idea that it should be other than the way it is, I have stuck a flag in the ground. And now I have to defend that flag. And it's, it might, it's sticking that flag in the ground might even be to my detriment. But if I'm behaving from fear, I'll stick flags in the ground to have a position. Well, as soon as you've stuck the flag in the ground, you've come out of flow. You're no longer alive. You've become static. Yeah. And exactly, you're defending then that flag. Yeah. And saying, this is enough for now. Really, it's an infinite universe. It's never enough for now. <laughs> Doesn't mean don't rest, but don't let the rest be a, a stasis. Let it be a, a flow. The rest too can be a flow. Mm -hmm. mm. So many beautiful truths, Jeff. I really, I just love it. And I'm so glad you've got your podcast going now so I can tune in to you and hear your musings and your thoughts for the day regularly coming through because so many are ingesting things now just through audio and that you've made yourself available to so many more. I just hope that it grows and grows and grows. Oh, back at you. And I'm... Uh, uh going to uh start having uh like once a month interviewing someone and adding that into the podcast so uh, maybe you'll let me interview you i'd be so delighted I can, I can shut up a little bit and let you talk <laughs> a little more no i'd be delighted for that and are you still doing um what's the word i want to use initiations into the meditation lineage i i am i uh i have a I gave a, a private intro talk this morning, and we'll be teaching someone shortly. And okay. uh, once a month, I uh, uh, I do an introductory talk um, and teach the four day course. Uh, 
uh, and uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's just as long as uh, it keeps happening, <laughs> I'll keep doing it. You know, what else are we here for? Uh, the I'm sure that you have the same experience. It's like you do this because you clearly love doing it. You you clearly uh, are alive and in this experience of joy by by uh, having uh, an interaction like this. And uh, when you teach or or when you guide someone in their their therapy, I'm sure you're in the state of flow with that. And even if there are times when you don't want to engage in it, once you start doing it, it's like you're, I'm sure you're thrilled beyond uh, your ability to say that you're doing it. Always. And, and it's like we're given these extraordinary gifts of avenues within which to practice freedom, within which to, through which to practice flow. And teaching meditation is one of them for me, acting is one of them for me. Uh, 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 you know, taking photographs, is, you know, pin types uh, is one of those for me. Um, and w- why would we ever stop? Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. So. The life force is flowing to it and through it for you. And so if people want to find you for meditation, it's just jeffcober.com. JeffCober.com, Jeff-Cober.com, uh, uh, Embracing Bliss podcast on any podcast uh, application and Embracing Bliss, the book on any uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, mm. Powell's, Powell's Books, any of those. Big successes for you this year. The book's out, the podcast has started, the Emmy has been won. <laughs> My my son stopped by last night, and uh, we were sitting and having a cup of tea late in the evening. And and uh, I said, "Turn around." He said, "I've already seen it," um, you know, because I have it up on the mantle. And and he he couldn't help himself. He finally did turn around, look at it, and he said, "You know, it looks a little out of place because it, it's on the mantle. We have you know uh, Saraswati and uh, Lakshmi and." Um, and all these different uh deities most of them uh the you know shakti uh, you know mother divine and he said it's kind of out of place and and adele said that's shakti what are you talking about that's another woman she's holding up the world what do you want and it's it's the same thing Mm. isn't that extraordinary Mm -hmm. it's about recognizing the energy of flow and it's that's what the that's what the statue is it's fully shakti so it's right. Holy Shakti. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. We didn't even get into Shakti. I, I, I want to talk to I want to know what you know about that. <laughs> well, let's do next more. Time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> okay. We'll do it again well, for sure. And just such a treat for me to reconnect to you again like this. I love it so much. And you've really been in my life every day with your emails and through my that, teachings and my own meditation practice. So thank you. That I means honor the you. world to me. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for this. Just a just a delight to talk to you. Yes. Give Adele my best. I certainly will. Yeah. All right. 